Hey, Nothing is Wasted family. Are you currently walking through a specific valley and looking for resources to help you in your pain? I think we can all attest to the fact that there is tremendous comfort in hearing from those who have walked a similar path and have found hope and healing on the other side. That's why we've created collections of resources called Curated Pathways to help you navigate your specific pain points. With Curated Pathways on topics like grief, child loss, sexual betrayal, childhood trauma, widowhood, and more, we've compiled the very best resources from Nothing Is Wasted Ministries all in one place speak to what you're experiencing right now. Our Curated Pathways will give you access to everything we've created from past podcast episodes to bonus content, masterclasses, live coaching, and everything in between. I mean, let's admit it. When you're facing a crisis, loss, or trauma, you just don't have the time, energy, or emotional bandwidth to search for or wade through all of the resources that could help you heal. That's why we've created Curated Pathways. Now, you can get a taste of what our Curated Pathways have to offer by going to nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. But if you're ready to go to the next level on your healing journey, you can access the full library of our resources, including the entire curated pathway you're looking for by becoming a Community Plus member. For just $20 a month or $200 a year, you'll have access to the complete collection of Nothing Is Wasted curated pathways, as well as our entire library of masterclasses, bonus episodes, live coaching, live events, replays, and more. As a Community Plus member, you'll be able to access a new curated pathway each month as our collection grows. Our team has been working very hard on this to catalog, index, organize, and distribute our library of content in a way that will be most helpful to you or to friends and family that you know who are going through a tough time. We know what it's like to face pain, and we want to equip you with the tools you need to find hope and healing as you move from pain to purpose. Join Community Plus today at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus, or get a taste of our curated pathways by going to nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. You can find both of those links in the show notes of this episode. We want to help you partner with God to take back your story, and we're committed to giving you resources in an easy way for you to access those so that you can do just that. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Davey. And we're very excited to uh, be with you today. We're glad you're with us as well. Thanks for listening, tuning in, subscribing, downloading, sharing all the things that you do to get this message of hope and healing all the out ings, to the world. All the ings that you do, sharing, all those subscribing, ings. listening, engaging. Engaging. Just don't, just don't do it while you're driving that. in the car, you know? <laughs> That's accurate. <laughs> do not, do not oh, do that. Oh, my goodness. Hey, listen, uh, one thing I wanted to make sure that we mentioned before we introduce our guest today, uh, this is the first time, Aubrey, that we are recording intros and outros since uh, my tr- late wife, Amanda's trial has happened. So oh, we're, we're yeah. going to, here's, uh, you know, we're not going to talk mm-hmm. about it right now because- as of the moment of this recording, I'm actually going to spend some time reflecting and processing over a couple of weeks, and then we're going to release a special episode where Aubrey, at least our plan is right now, is unless something happens and goes right, right Aubrey's going to interview Christy and me, 
about our experience in the courtroom that week and just kind of what, you know, how God showed up in different ways and the things that we've been wrestling through and processing through as well. And so I want to invite you to make sure that you tune in for that. And I also want to acknowledge it because you're listening, you're going, why has he not talked about this right. very much? <laughs> right. You want to just name it. It, it will be yes. talked about, but we want to yes. give Davey and Christy some time to process and get away for a little bit and... Yeah. yeah. The reality is what you need to know right now is that we are absolutely exhausted, spiritually, mentally, <laughs> physically, emotionally mm. drained. And so I don't yeah. think that we would be able to offer a whole lot right now. So we just got to go get our cup filled for a yeah. bit before we can we can talk about that at all. That's um, so healthy, by the way. I know we didn't plan on talking about this, but I do want to pause and just say like, that's a good, I feel like that's a good model for all of us when you go through something really kind of draining, like you guys have been through, yeah. or maybe not to that degree, but something draining for all of us to just kind of pause take some time to process and not feel yeah. like you have to show up or answer people's questions or whatever until you're ready. I think that's a good. Yeah. So well done, Davey and Christy. Good job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, speaking of getting your cup filled, this interview is going to fill your cup as you're listening to this. Did you like that segue, Aubrey? I was literally just thinking what a great transition <laughs> that was. Very impressed with your skills uh, there, Davey. <laughs> we have Pastor Glenn Burris who is joining us. And the reason I, um, this is going to be a really unique conversation because we're talking with someone who doesn't necessarily have one specific story of tragedy or trauma yeah. that that we then draw from and say, well, how did you heal from that? Which is like mm -hmm. so many of our, our guests that we have. But this is someone who has just walked through uh, a lifetime, I mean, an entire career of ministry, and he's been helping other people in their pain, who's been helping other people and showing up in their crisis, yeah. but also experiencing quite a bit himself as he has ministered to other people. And so he's just got a really great pastoral perspective yeah. on pain. And um, I think it was just really important for our community to hear his perspective on this. And so that's, the other I, thing that's why I'm excited. That's fun about Pastor Glenn Burris is he is just kind of a little connection to our show. Yeah. Uh, our community director, Amos Sylvester, he was her pastor growing up. That's right. And actually, as I've, this is kind of funny what a small world, the Christian world is. I've texted a few friends, hey, we're having a conversation on Nothing is Wasted with Pastor Glenn Burris. And some Foursquare friends of mine are like, oh, I know him. I know his kids. Yep. So he is well-loved and well-respected. Yes. And I, I, like you said, this, this uh, conversation is going to fill people's cups. So listeners, yeah. we're so excited uh, for you to hear from him today. Very excited, especially in an era where it seems like all we're hearing about is pastors who are not finishing well. I, I mean, mean, that's what the news on. seems to cover. You know what's yes. really, you know what's amazing, Aubrey? This was so encouraging. I went to art conference uh, several months ago. Yeah. And Pastor Chris Hodges was addressing that issue with all these pastors. I mean, 2,500 pastors and church leaders in this room. Mm. And, and, and he was like, he was basically like, hey, listen, I know the news is inundated now, especially the past several months with some really yeah. big names who have fallen yeah. moral failures. And it seems like that's what everybody's focusing on is that pastors mm. who have not finished well, he said, there are so many pastors who have and are finishing well yes. that nobody is highlighting. And so this is one yeah. of those conversations of someone who's on the back end of his ministry, kind of the latter half of his life who is finishing well. And so we get to learn and glean from him. It's really great, really great. Love, love that. All right, well, with that in mind, let's go ahead and listen to Davey's conversation with Pastor Glenn Burris. Well, Pastor Glenn, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Can I call you Pastor Glenn? Is that okay? 
Sure. Or just call me Glenn. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's great because you're in a unique season where you have been a pastor. You still are a pastor. You have the heart of a pastor. And you were uh, one of our team members, Amy Sylvester. You were her pastor for a little while. And that's how we got connected to you. And um, she was super excited about us having this conversation. I'm excited about it too. I think we've got a lot of great things that we can discuss and that are going to happen in this conversation. But I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about who you are, what, what life looks like right now before we kind of dive back into your story and hear the journey that the Lord has had you on. That's great. Thanks, Davey. And uh, great to get connected with you. I knew a little bit about your story and uh, to watch God uh, restore and remake your life and ministry has been inspiring as well. But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny uh, being kind of semi-retired a little bit, but I've I'm with several pickleball groups that I've gotten connected with, and most of them have been older guys. There's a few younger guys, but um, I was with a group in a gated senior community the other day, and I walked up to them, and they said, hey, we've been talking about you. And I said, really? They said, yeah. They said, we Googled you because we we need to know who's playing with us. And uh, they said, we found out you're a pastor. Uh, and they all started apologizing for their language for the last several months. You're like, no. And I said, hey, <laughs> I, said, hey I, I think pastors use some of those words too. If they don't use them, they think about them. That's so, right. That's uh, right. Don't you hate it, that when you, a, you get treated differently because you're a pastor? You're like, I've been trying to yeah. keep that hidden because I didn't want you to. Now, all of a sudden, we've got this weird thing between us. <laughs> But it's actually better when you don't kind of load that up front with them. And uh, so, yeah, life's been rich. And, you know, I think you go at it for a long time and you work and work. And then I think God gives you a season that you're able to kind of just reflect in a a good way and and live out. What you have as an older person is you have experience. Mm -hmm. And so you're able to engage things much quicker in terms of um, helping people and sensing things and uh, right. navigating through complex issues uh, when you've kind of had a whole lifetime of, of leading through those. So, yeah. uh, and it's fun, even my kids are in their mid forties, but it's kind of fun to watch them parent now and also live as spouses and yeah. Be able to step back, but also still act as a spiritual father as well as a uh, an earthly father. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a sweet season. Mm. Well, Glenn, one of the things that I I feel like the Lord has really been challenging me with is as I've kind of looked at the landscape of life and the church, and you know, I kind of sit in some of these different camps and I see things. And I was a part of ministry growing up where it seemed like the for a long time, the the alluring thing was the flashy, young, hip pastor, and certainly, you know, churches being on the bleeding edge of creativity and technology, it has its place. However, as I've kind of like noticed some things, I've been so much more appreciative of those fatherly voices, mm-hmm. of those of those folks who have been, call it what it is, right, been in the game, who have been faithfully serving who have been stewarding the ministry that God has put in front of them for a long time. And now, as I see, especially pastors falling, having moral failures, burnouts, all of these different things that kind of, you know, lives imploding because of some of the pressure of that platform, I, I have so much more respect and so much more so much more admiration and curiosity around this, mm-hmm. you know, okay, what does it look like to 
to finish well, to live this thing out well, to steward well the ministry that God has put in front of me so that one day I can also be a father to, you know, in some ways that fatherly voice. So that's what that's what I'm really excited about this conversation. Now, obviously your story has, I mean, you can't do ministry for a number of years without experiencing some sort of pain, right? Um, you've yeah. got some unique parts of your story as well. I mean, one, a near-death experience and several other things. So why don't you kind of take us on on the journey a little bit and talk to us a little bit about, you know, how you got into ministry and and what were some of the, these big pain points that created these critical inflection points in your story? Yeah, well, thank you. And and anytime I'm going on and on, just feel free to interrupt me. And if you want to oh, re- reflect on something. It's or... the podcast where you're allowed to go on and on and on. <laughs> we call it long form, right? Everybody's like, oh, these 15-minute podcasts. I'm like, nope, you need to hear the story. It's rich. It's yeah. it's it's rich. So, Well, I think the thing, looking back over my life, um, I think the thing that was most beneficial when I began in ministry, I, I was uh, in a pastor's home. And so there are things that that are good and challenging about that because yeah. you're not in a normal uh, home situation. Ministry is always for the forefront of stuff right. that's going on. But but my parents were very healthy and they didn't bring problems home. And so my dad and mom were very optimistic and very forward thinking. So that was a very healthy construct in my own heart mm. uh, to not carry offense and to always look for the fact that uh, God was working some solution. Uh, if you've got a problem, then yeah. you got to believe that God is uh, somehow, some way going to find a solution. So I've always had that kind of built into the fabric of who I mm. uh, became. And um, so I met my wife in college. We got married and started as youth pastors in North Carolina and then spent a couple years in South Georgia. Um took over a church that had had 15 pastors in like 25 years. So, I mean, this was a revolving door. So I'm just young. I'm 24. Um, It was a very difficult situation because uh, you're, I think the average age in the church was probably 60 plus. And they had seen so many change, so many changes by different pastors that they were almost immune to leadership. Um, but God really helped me learn to love them and to love that community and to not take things personally. And I think that's the yeah. that's one of the biggest lessons I think I learned early in life is that when you personalize pain, especially or rejection or betrayal or um, a lack of engagement or followership of people, uh, you really do a disservice. In fact, I remember mm. one night I was so frustrated because only a handful of people had shown up for service and and God really challenged my heart because he yeah. knew I was getting ready to kind of explode on the people of my frustration. Yeah. And uh, he, he said something I never f- forgot, David. He said, I've called you to lead and feed them, not to beat them. In, in other words, in terms of, and he said, in fact, the very people you're upset with aren't even here at church, but you're getting ready to take it out on the people that are here. Yep. So that became uh, a really a mantra of my life, whether one showed up or a thousand showed up um, to, to feed the people that came and to lead them and to love them. And so I think that's allowed me to, to have a ministry, whether it's been one on one with people and considered that as valuable as standing in front of been in front of 100,000 people in Nigeria. Um 
So I think you just come to value what God values as you're navigating through the difficulties of ministry. Uh, One night uh, we were in Ohio, came home and drove into our driveway and someone had pulled a U-Haul in the back of our house and emptied our house out. They had stolen everything that we had in our house. Our neighbors watched them, but they thought that we are moving. So (laughs) they didn't call the police. So, um, but through that, we were able to minister to the two guys that got caught and, uh, both of them went to prison because they were on parole, but both of them came to Jesus, uh, as a result of our interaction with them. So, you know, God has shown us along the way that what happens to you isn't the final chapter. And so, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it feels like the final chapter at the moment and the emotions of it and the, the devastation and the wreckage, um, overshadow anything else. But if I've learned one thing, Davey, and 45 plus years of ministry, it's that God's in this for the long haul. And so if we will take the long range picture rather than the short range uh, view, um, we'll come out much better in a healthy way because you look back over your shoulder and see the things that have happened in your ministry. I was uh, probably 30 years old in North Carolina. We were having a phenomenal ministry breakthrough there and uh, just north of Charlotte. And a paranoid schizophrenic woman decided that she wanted to end my life. So she started calling and threatening me over the phone. She called the funeral home and ordered my funeral. She drove into, oh my, into my yard with a gun. And, um, you know, that was uh, very frightening as a young pastor and with Absolutely. a family. And but God used that to kind of help me cement a deeper relationship with with God and trust Him yeah. that irregardless of, of what circumstances I was facing, that I had to learn to trust Him in a way that um, wasn't determined by what was happening at the moment, yeah. but what God could do with what was happening in the moment. Right, right. And so... I think there's been lots of situations like that in my life that uh, now that I look back on them, I I appreciate the fact that somehow in the fabric of who I was, even though at the time you kind of felt like giving up or giving in or um, wondering where God was, that if you stayed with it, then you begin to see God putting this puzzle together, mm. whether it's short term, long term. I had a friend who said, you know, your life is kind of like a box full of 500 pieces of puzzle, except that God didn't give you the picture on the box. <laughs> uh, all he did was give you the pieces. So wow. how do you figure out what your life's supposed to look like? You start with the straight edges and yeah. coordinate the colors. And eventually you discover the picture that God's putting together, but he's not going to give you the picture on the box. Hmm. Uh, your life's journey becomes part of what uh, it is and piecing those things together. So <sighs> that's a little of, of what I've I've learned about because I, you know, I I thought about this yesterday, Davy. I don't really think pain is. I think pain's the teacher, but it's not the lesson. So, mm. pain gets our attention, but we're having to discover what the lesson is in the middle of the pain. Wow. So sometimes we think pain is the is the lesson, but it's not. It's the teacher, but yeah. it's not the lesson. Yeah, it it lines up with kind of what C.S. Lewis was saying, where you know pain is the megaphone, right, that arouses a deaf world. Yep. And it's it's a way that yep. gets our attention to tune us into 
the things that God's really trying to teach us. And that can be hard to wrestle with, Glenn. Like, I mean, it can be hard to reconcile because you start to think, well, is God causing this pain to happen in yep. my life because he's like this, you know, like this really authoritative teacher who's trying to teach me this lesson or else, and I, I'm not listening, and so he needs to bring this pain into my life? Or how is the, how do we, how do we reconcile that? That pain absolutely 100% becomes something that tunes us into the heart and the voice of God. But but it doesn't seem like God is a loving God if that's what he would use to inflict this on a, you know, and so can you kind of unpack that a little bit for me? I know that's a very complicated concept. Yeah, and and I think as people, we have two different, at least two different platforms we're working on. One is the personal journey we're taking, but if we're any kind of a leader or if you're a parent or a spouse or even a friend, you're watching other people navigate pain. So uh, in terms of helping shoulder their journey, um, you're having to figure out how can I support them in a way without criticizing them or without abandoning them. Um, in fact, I have a friend, you, you may know him. Let me just briefly tell you a story yeah, before yeah. I tell you who it is. When he was 12, his father was uh, a raging alcoholic. His mom was pregnant. Um, he would regularly beat on his mom. And so this kid came home one day and the father was beating the mother. She was almost ready to deliver this child. And so the, the son tried to intervene. The, the father got physical with him. The son went into the closet, got a shotgun, stood between him and his dad and his mom and his father. The father kept coming. The son pulled the trigger. The father was killed. He was uh, initially charged with murder, which was then changed to self-defense. But he lived with this guilt. You can imagine, yeah. on one hand, you saved your mother and your sister. Right. On the other hand, you took the life of your father. So every time there's a Father's Day or every time people are talking about their fathers, you're having to live with this guilt. So by the time this kid was 19, he was a mess. And oh. so went to Bible college, flunked out of Bible college. We invited him down to Georgia, lived with him. And I never knew this at the time, Davey, but he said, Glenn, I just wanted to sit around with you and your wife and kids because I never knew what a normal family looked like. And he said, every time I saw things, I began to get a different picture of what life could be. Yet I'm dealing with all of this history in my oh. life. Well, we loved on this kid for a long time and he was messy, irresponsible, but eventually life got a hold of him and he got a hold of God, married this wonderful lady, had a beautiful son, and just two weeks ago was named as the director of Billy Graham's XM Sirius wow. radio channel. So, I mean, this wow. is the turnaround story of a guy who was navigating through pain that he had participated in. But in loving him and modeling something for him, yeah. um, I, I was reading in Jeremiah 18, I'm sure you're aware of, Davy, this mm -hmm. passage where it says that in the midst of this clay pot being formed, it was marred. Yeah. And, and then the potter took, and I, I thought the other day, first time I'd really seen this, the same clay, mm -hmm. and he remade the pot into a vessel of honor as it pleased him. Mm. And so I'm thinking that's a little picture of what life is. I that's mean, right. we, as God is making us, things happen and we get kind of messed up and yeah. 
marred and we have this liability or, or this open wound or yeah. offense or whatever. But I'm encouraged that God took the prophet down to the potter's house and showed him that even in the midst of that yeah. dysfunction, God is remaking with the same clay, with the wow. same vulnerability, the same um, possibilities of breakage yeah. or, or damage. He's remaking us into a vessel that can be used. So wow. I'm 67, but I think I'm still being remade by the potter. I'm still learning stuff. I still right. make mistakes. But I think the older you get, you do have a little more experience. And, uh, well, I don't want to go down that path or I don't want to do yeah, this. Yeah. So, um, But just in viewing the journey other people are taking, um, it it's helpful to be able to coach them, counsel them, help them, whether it's an Uber driver that all of a sudden lays his whole life out in front of you and Uh, you found yourself, I got the, God, this is a divine uh, assignment, right? I mean, God put me in this car because this guy or woman needed to talk. So it's, it's, but I think, uh, Davey, along the way, God is helping us frame concepts Mm. that give us a healthy boundary. Uh, I heard a pastor say the other day, you know, that guardrails aren't put in the danger zones. They're put before you get to the danger Mm. zones. So I think that God puts those guardrails in our life, not in the middle of chaos, but before we get to chaos. So I think that's what experience teaches us, that God's putting up different guardrails in our life that we know better to go in that direction. There are a few topics we get asked about quite a bit, and some of them might seem obvious to you. Loss of a spouse, loss of a child, but one might surprise you, and that's the topic of sexual betrayal. In fact, I was surprised to learn that four of our top 10 most listened to episodes are on the topic of sexual betrayal, which tells me that it's a very prevalent issue, and it also tells me that there aren't very many resources out there to date. I mean, one of the most devastating things that can happen in a marriage is to find out that your spouse has in any way been unfaithful, whether it's through a pornography addiction or an actual affair. Not just navigating sexual betrayal and all the muddiness involved in your marriage, but finding healing in the ongoing fallout of the deception can seem quite impossible. No matter what happens in your relationship, there is hope. On Thursday, October 20th, At 8 p.m. Eastern Time, we will be hosting a live masterclass with our very own Nothing Is Wasted certified coach, Carissa Sprinkle. This masterclass is called Broken Vows, Experiencing Wholeness and Healing After Sexual Betrayal. Now, if you don't know her, you can hear Carissa's journey after learning that her husband, Cameron, had been unfaithful, and the beautiful redemption story God brought out of so much brokenness in episodes 79 and 80 of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Now, those episodes were recorded a while ago, and their story has since taken on even more complicated and beautiful dynamics. Cameron and Carissa have become wonderful, dear friends of ours, and there's not a better person, I believe, in my opinion, to teach on this topic than Carissa Sprinkle. In this upcoming masterclass, Carissa's gonna share with us how to heal from the trauma of sexual betrayal, what forgiveness is and what it isn't, navigating friendships and faith struggles while in recovery and more. Joining this masterclass is easy and free. All you have to do is sign up at nothingiswasted.com slash masterclass. We'll have a link right here in 
the show notes. Once you register, you'll receive an email that will tell you exactly how to join the live event on October 20th. Now, if you can't make it on October 20th, but you want to catch the replay, all of our masterclass replays are available exclusively to our Community Plus members for just $20 a month or $200 a year. There you can access all of our Nothing Is Wasted content library, including past masterclasses, curated pathways, like the one on sexual betrayal, which is released, live coaching replays, mini courses, bonus episodes, and so much more. Join Community Plus today by going to nothingiswasted.com slash community plus or clicking the link in the show notes. Sexual betrayal is something no one ever plans for when they say, I do. But we know that even in the midst of that pain, God can bring healing and restoration when the pieces of your heart seem forever shattered. Join us for this special live masterclass with Carissa Sprinkle on October 20th. That's really cool because, you know, if I like parallel what you said about the puzzle and the guardrails, you know, you're right. God, like we have these like 500 pieces of these puzzle pieces. We don't have the picture yet. And so now we're tasked with journeying, putting this puzzle together as the picture gets revealed. Well, again, the first thing that you do is you go to the the frame, the perimeter, and you put those edge pieces together, right? And that kind of sets a frame for how the rest of it is going to be developed within that frame and just how important some of those early, uh, the early formative, you know, spiritual experiences and learning some of the disciplines and the rhythms of God early on, what that can do to frame out your experience with God the rest of the rest of your life, even though, you know, you're going to experience pain, you're going to experience hardship and tragedy and trauma. You, and you said it, you know, baked yep. into the DNA of who you were early on because you were in this pastor's home, because you were, let me specify, because you were in a good, loving pastor's home, because just because we're in a pastor's home doesn't necessarily automatically by uh, de facto, you know, mean it's going to be an incredible experience, right? But because you're in this good, you it was baked into you this reality or this paradigm reality of, God's going to use this somehow, right? If there's a problem, you said it, there's a problem, God's already working a solution. But I have to imagine early on in life, you had to, you question that quite a, ba- quite a bit in the midst of your problems, even though now in retrospect, you have the, the benefit of hindsight to know, oh, right, Psalm 20, 23, 4 says, uh, uh, well, you know, in the middle of the valley is the four, but at the end of it in verse six says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Well, we know goodness and mercy will follow us because it has been following us and we can look back and see that some, it's following us, right? So hindsight gives us a great perspective. As you're looking back, you can say, oh, this, you know, God's going to work this thing out. But when you were 23, 25, 39, as this, you know, lady's coming to, I'm sure there were some of those wrestling points of going, all right, this is a huge problem, God. Like, I don't know if I trust that you're working out a solution, um, but, but how do you, how do you lean into that? Even in those moments, how do you lean into trust? How do you lean, lean into staying with it? How do you lean into running the race still, you know? Yeah, I, I think, um, we all have our faith journey and we have to personalize the things that we've heard that can become knowledge, but it isn't necessarily your value yet. Mm. So, um, and that value generally isn't become yours until it's tested. Mm. So 
you can wow. know something, but to believe something is a different um, stage of your faith journey. Yeah. So, you know, I was raised in a church, so I knew the scriptures, but until that was tested, either in relationships or I remember when a yeah. uh, young girl broke my heart in college and I thought my world was over. You know, I remember the whole summer I was um, at home and just was so, I mean, the pain uh, when you're in early love yep. just can be, yep. can be traumatic. <laughs> and so I do remember God beginning to heal my heart a little bit. And, and I come to that conclusion within about three months, I met my current wife mm. uh, and I was a junior in college and we fell in love. And I think it was about six months later, Debbie and I were engaged. This girl came back and wanted to get back in my life. And it was so interesting because what a test of this yep. girl that had broke my heart. And but my heart was so knitted to my uh, fiance that there was not even a temptation at that point. Yeah. And I realized at that point, Davy, God had healed my heart mm. uh, of that brokenness. And sometimes we don't even know that God's healed us, but we just have to keep moving forward. Mm. I think putting one step in front of another and imagining. I think this has been the greatest lesson I've learned in my faith journey is that. God has a future, and I have to keep moving toward that, whether the circumstances of my life are consistent with where I know he's taking me. Mm. And because the devil will try to get you on a detour or distract you or discourage you. Uh, remember, I remember when Paul on his last journey was going to Rome, and he mm. stopped in a house with some believers, and they said, you can't go to Rome because yeah. if you go there, they're going to arrest you. They're yeah. going to beat you. They're going to kill you. And Paul basically says, yeah, the Holy Spirit's already told me all of yeah. that. But then he said something I'd never really thought about before. He said, I'm going to Rome to make God known. And I'm thinking, mm. well, well, I mean, they were saying, but how can you do that if you get arrested, right. beaten, and get executed? Killed. Stick around, mentor some more young leaders, plant some more churches, right. do some more missionary itinerary. Um, and Paul does. He goes, gets arrested, gets yeah. executed, but he wrote a few books. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. today, Nero's writings are not quoted by anyone. Nope. But 60 to 80 million times a year, I've been at the at the publishing company, Amity Publishing Company in China, Davy, where they publish more Bibles. Imagine this in China wow. than any place in the world. That's ironic. And they're wow. publishing Paul's letters. So when he's I, I think it's a leading is about seeing the future God sees. Yeah. So I think that's what Paul saw. He saw that. Maybe he didn't know how, maybe he was in the middle of the puzzle coming together, but yeah. what he knew was that if he was obedient to the Lord, wow. then God would take all of this stuff, yeah. even the bad stuff, uh, like Joseph, yeah. and turn it toward good. Yeah. And I think that's that's the difficulty and maybe the dividing line between the people that ultimately are able to finish well and not yeah. finish well is yeah. whether they see a future they're unwilling to compromise on. Wow. Um, if you don't have that future, Davey, I think you're more living in the present. And I think you're more susceptible to the temptations and the liabilities of the moment because you're trying to keep the moment going 
rather than living toward a more eternal conclusion. Um, So you get, so the pain is not that it's not real. It's just that you're willing to go through it because um, you know what's on the other side or you believe what's on the other side. So Abraham believed Mm. in the things that were not as though they were. So somehow, though he didn't know where God was going, there was this sense of, I can trust God, yeah, right? right. Um, I don't think the issue in life, as I've grown and had lots of stuff to work through, the issue is not whether I can trust God. The issue is whether you can trust me. Mm. So um, that's what's being tested, not wow. whether I can, whether God can be trusted. Wow. It's whether I can be trusted wow. um, to stay faithful. Um, you know, the simple things about Paul when he said you've— um, finished the race, you've run the course. And then he said something so simple, you've kept the faith. Hmm. I thought, wow, isn't that, I mean, we, sometimes we go for accolades that can be written down in terms of numbers or measured things. But Paul simply said, kept the faith. Wow. I I love to to be able to, yeah, I love to be able to stand. I was at a guy's funeral the other day, 94 years old, and he his life was such impeccable. He pastored our mother church there in Los Angeles, Angeles yeah. Temple. And uh, But what I loved about him is that most people said about him, he was kind. He was, um, and, I, and I, what I said at his memorial service was, you know, this is his legacy. And I'm, I'm thinking through all the things that he accomplished, but what people remembered about him was that he was kind. And I said, what, what is kind? Mm. I mean, you can say he was a nice man, but kind when it comes to Christianity is not being nice. It's a fruit of the spirit. Mm. It's really the evidence that something supernatural is actually working through you. When Paul defined love, he said, love is kind. So um, those kinds of values in our life you know, we can just talk about somebody being a nice person, but when it comes to true kindness, yeah. um, one scripture says, your kindness, talking about the Lord led me to repentance. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think oftentimes, Davey, we get distracted into temporal things yeah. versus keeping our eyes on the long-term approach, which are eternal things. Yeah. And I think when that happens, I think we're in a danger zone. I think that's when we're most vulnerable. Um, I think that's when the enemy, because all of us have anxiety, but anxiety, if not done well, of course, the Bible says be anxious for nothing. But when we find ourselves in the middle of anxiety, anxiety unresolved leads to uh, a lack of peace and leads to almost a paranoia where you begin to believe in the things that aren't really there, uh, like odds are against me or no one likes me, or, you know, we, we begin to exaggerate in those realms. And I think that's where the enemy wants us. If if his design is to steal, kill and destroy, then he's going to take those things that are um, a, a part of our life and exacerbate those things that are challenging. Yeah. Um, I yeah. remember I was dealing with, uh, when I was the president of Foursquare, I was dealing with a leader in one of our largest nation of churches. And uh, there were a lot of accusations against the leader. And mm. 
we don't really have governing authority over those leaders. We only have spiritual influence, like an elder influence. Okay. So I remember in navigating through that, the Lord really helped us. And we brought him and his entire board to the to the U.S. to address some things. And he brought like six lawyers with him. Oh, you wow. know, I thought this guy is ready for a fight, yeah, right? Wow. And um and remember the scripture says, uh, as much as is possible yeah. with you, live at peace with all men. Yeah. So we took a very loving, compassionate approach, but, but a very truthful approach yeah. uh, because it was a painful time for everybody because of this conflict of, of accountability and relationship. Make a long story short, when we lovingly confronted him, he stood up in front of his board and all these lawyers and our global counsel and and repented over his behavior. And someone told me it's the first time this man has ever publicly acknowledged failure and liability. And so a year later, I was down at his conference with like 30,000 people, and he stood in front of them and said, I'm accountable to this man and our global church because I need accountability. And I'm thinking, man, we worked through two years of just anguish of, uh, and it was only God that really gave us a process that brought him to a place of repentance. So sometimes we are in the moment reacting rather than discovering the wisdom of God, which takes us to places I mean, the enemy is involved in the chaos, right? I mean, there's confusion, there's chaos, there's division, there's strife. And somewhere in the middle of that, Davey, God wants to paint this path. Uh, And it's not always easy, but I do believe that if you keep your eyes on him and find a way, kind of like the Council of Jerusalem and debating all about the Gentiles, it took debate, conversation, and the showing up of the Holy Spirit to say, you need to have a different approach to this. And that one revelation to those leaders led to the church exploding. And so that's what we want. You you and I talked earlier before we started the broadcast of the current climate, the culture, the difficulty of leaders and pastors and all the stuff they're having to deal with. But I believe in the middle of that, Davey, there is an answer of the Holy Spirit that yes. he's leading us through. Yes. And if if we'll get quiet, if we'll just press forward yeah. and not despair, I think we'll be like James who stood up and said, hey, let's don't forget what God has said. <laughs> let's don't forget what God is doing. Now let's pray and discern for where God is going. Wow. And when that happened, it was kind of like, so let's make it easy for the Gentiles to find God. Wow. And when the Holy Spirit came and said, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit, it was no holds barred at that point for the church. Wow. So I just think those breakthrough moments yeah. are what people are waiting for and needing. So wow. how do we help lead people, coach people, counsel people, love people? Yep. or even live in a way that we do finally get to those final pieces of the puzzle that we go, ah, yep. that's what it looks like. Yep. Wow. Glenn, there's so much that you have, you know, that you have talked about right here, but I've, I'm hearing this consistent motif running through the thread of what you're saying in don't give up, mm-hmm. right? Don't cash it in. Don't just keep pressing in and pressing on. And I think, we all get to these 
critical places where, particularly in leadership, right? But I think really all of us, like if we're to, you know, bring this down to every every single, no matter what you do in life, at, at whatever level you're at in terms of leadership or not, it, we all get to these places where we are tempted to give up, right? And as, you know, Galatians 6, 9 tells us, right? Do not grow weary in well-doing for at the proper time, yep. you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. There is a promise implicit within that, but there's a contingency in that promise. And, and that contingency is yep. if you do not give up. And so there are so many folks that give up and that giving up point is either uh, manifested by some kind of a burnout and a walking away or manifested by some kind of a moral failure because, you know, they didn't address the liabilities within their character. And so they ended up, you know, finding even, even subconsciously yep. finding an escape route right there where they resorted to lesser things rather than this kingdom perspective. And so, but, but at the end, it's this idea of like, Hey, if you keep pressing on, if you keep moving at some point, this will get clearer Right now, it doesn't seem clear. At some point, God will show himself and that this yep. will begin to make sense and you'll be able to look back and go, oh, I see how God has been using this, right? Yep. And, and, and there are these, within this, there are these critical de- decision times that we, these moments of decision that we have where we, where we have to choose that. And I think that's that testing of the faith that you're talking about, right? The scripture yep. tells us that te- it, that trial tests the genuineness of our faith. And most people, they're not being tested based on, do I believe in God? That's not the testing. That's not the faith that you're holding on to as, uh, as you pointed out in scripture earlier, right? It's not, not it's like, oh, you held on to the faith. Oh, you still believe in God. That's not, that's like the surface level of faith. It's you trust God and you trust God so much so that even though your sight tells you one thing, your heart is telling you something different, yep. right? Your spirit is telling you something different and you're saying, okay, this doesn't make sense that I'm about to step foot yep. in the raging rapids of the Jordan River, but I'm going to because the Lord promised us something as we do step into this. Mm. Yeah, I, I think what I've discovered is that I'll lie to myself. I mean, I will convince myself that I should act a certain way or do a certain thing. Yeah. Um, one of the most powerful stories in the scripture to me, and David, one of the reasons I point to scripture is because those are models for me that solidify values or principles that don't change. Right, right. So when I'm when I'm in a changeable situation, I wanna I wanna refer back to something that says no. That's a truth that can't be undone. Mm. So you remember when David sent his uh, his um, companions to Nabal to ask for some food, yeah. and he's running from Saul, and he's hiding in the land of the Philistines, and Nabal said, I didn't ask you to guard my sheep <laughs> or protect me, so I'm not giving you anything. So the men come back, and David's incensed. Now remember, None of his men are killed. None of them have been injured. Mm. He just feels disrespected. So here's David saying, strap on your swords. Um, (laughs) Now, someone said David probably carried around Goliath's sword. I don't know if that's true or not, (laughs) but you can imagine how intimidating that (laughs) was. But he's taking off to find Nabal, and it's Abigail, Nabal's wife, who intercepts him. And here's, here's the point. She says to him, David, aren't you the one that taught us the battle belongs to the Lord? 
and yet you've taken this into your own hands. Which is it? Does the battle belong to you or does it belong to the Lord? And to David's credit, he stops and said, you know, you're right. Wow. And uh, I think what a moment where someone intercepted David's life to say the path that you're going is not one that yeah. that you're going to be pleased with. In fact, God's already, Abigail told him, God's already anointed you as the king. Yeah. Is this what you want on your resume? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I forget one leader said, you know, Nabal represents returning evil for good. David represented returning evil for evil, but Abigail represented returning good for evil. Wow. And so when we choose, what do we want our legacy to be? Returning evil for good, returning evil for evil, or returning good for evil. We see this amazing story of Abigail. And um, I mean, to me, so I read that story and I'm going, I realize that I can react to situations and I'm living out of my emotions or my offense rather than realizing I need to take a higher sit in the heavenlies with Christ. Yeah. Let this is, yeah, I'm going to get tied up in a fleshly battle and I'm going to get wounds. And, um, I love what I heard recently. It says, if you've got scars, be thankful because a wound that doesn't get healed leads to an infection, but a wound that gets healed leads to a scar. Yeah. So I, I want, we're, we're going to get wounded in life. The right. question is whether they turn into infections or scars. Mm. And so I, I think that's the, wow. that has to do with the choices we make along the way. Wow. That's so good. You know, I wonder as we talk about this kind of this theme of testing, where, where would you say was maybe if you can describe for us, maybe the biggest testing moment of your life or some of the biggest testing moments of your life? You know, I think that really helps us to personalize this too, you know? Yeah. Thank you. There's two that I can think of. One is, one was more physical that had some spiritual implications. The other was definitely an emotional one. uh, When I was leading the Foursquare movement, the first one was when I was in my mid thirties. I was having back pain. I went to all kinds of doctors. I finally went to an orthopedic surgeon. He said, you need to see a psychiatrist. There's no physical pain. Mm. And I mean, I I couldn't sleep. I, I couldn't eat. It was well, a week after I saw the orthopedic surgeon, I was at an Elmer Towns uh, seminar in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I got nauseated and I started throwing up blood and I passed out. So they rushed me to Carolina Medical Center. Um, I got in the emergency room, started losing blood again, went into convulsions. They took me into a trauma uh, surgery unit and a young 40-year-old doctor who'd never seen me in his life gets this 35-year-old on his operating table who's losing blood. Um, and eventually he said, as they're prepping me for surgery, I quit breathing. So he, he cuts me open because they don't know where I'm bleeding from and I quit breathing. So he cuts me open. He discovers that an artery has been severed in my stomach due to an ulcer that the ulcer grew on the back wall of my stomach, which is why the orthopedic surgeon and others thought it was either could be nerve or bone or yeah. since they couldn't find anything on, if someone had done an upper GI, they would have discovered they would the ultimate. Wow. But because they didn't do the right test, um, it appeared as if I had no physical problem. So wow. he said, I went about four and a half minutes without breathing. He literally put his thumb on the, uh, bleeding artery, 
had to remove about a third of my stomach, patched me back up, um, went to see my wife. Uh, a friend of mine who had brought our kids to the hospital said it was just, it was surreal because the doctor comes out of the operating room. He's got blood all over him. I mean, my blood. Wow. And so he's talking to my wife and he said, I think your husband's going to live. I don't know if there's going to be any permanent damage, which I, I kiddingly tell my wife when I can't remember something that I lost a little bit of my memory back there in that <laughs> surgery, but she doesn't believe wow. that part. Uh, so, but I remember coming up, uh, awaking and, uh, intensive care, Davy, And I, I thought how close I came to death and the Lord said something to me at age 35. That's almost, I, I've lived almost twice since then. And the Lord said to me, you're not leaving early. In wow. other words, I've numbered your days yeah, yeah. and you're not leaving early. So, uh, I've not feared death since that moment because I realized that God's got my life in his hands. And yeah. the minute he's finished with me, I'm, but right. until then, I'm not, I'm not going to have to worry about that. Yeah. So, um, that was a, that was a real, um, moment in my life where I was pastoring and I almost lost it. And I mean, they almost lost me, but God really helped me navigate through there. By the way, the first visit to the doctor, he, he brought me his bill. I've never had a doctor personally hand me his <laughs> bill before. Wow. And it was quite large. And he said, turn it over. And he had written paid in full in the back. Wow. And um, wow. he said, the doctor, uh, the Lord's just not going to let me um, charge you for this surgery. So um, the second, uh, probably most traumatic thing, Davey, was when I um, I was um, leaving the movement and someone had produced a play about our founder and we had a foundation and uh, the foundation board acted separately from our other board. I was on both boards and we was appro we were approached by Kathleen Gifford, who wrote the screenplay. It was going to be on Broadway. There were some other big investors. So we made an investment in this play. It was our founder's story. And there were a lot of people that had gotten saved from the, uh, I mean, it was just the, the main character ended up getting a Tony nomination. It was quite a play. But wow. making that decision of spending that money on a play didn't set right with our constituency. And, you know, because many of them, many of the pastors I serve are bivocational pastors. So you take an amount of $2 million, even though that was, in our opinion, going to get the gospel out and serve in the middle of New York City. And it was a painful reality of, of the distance of where most people live and where I was leading from. And so uh, at some point, I offered my resignation to the board. They unanimously rejected it. And, but it took about a year. Uh, in fact, I remember going to a convention in Orlando, and I said to my wife, I'm going to our business session and ask for forgiveness. And she says, again? You know, I mean, wow. it's one of those things where you're, you're, even though you ask, I didn't really ask for forgiveness, but I was repenting along the way. People weren't ready to forgive. Uh, but when I got up that day at our convention business session, there was a spiritual breakthrough. Um, we never had to address it again. Trust was restored. 
But I'm telling you, the the pain of the of that year of living with knowing that I had lived below some people's expectations um, and had broken their trust. Hmm. I think that is for a leader. Um, I think when you break someone's trust, regardless of whether it was intentional or unintentional and whether it was immoral, I mean, in my opinion, it was not immoral Mm -hmm. and it wasn't intentional to break their trust, but a decision I made was not reconcilable to them. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that year of really discovering, I mean, I, I know I wanted to quit. I, I actually called the the chairman of the board even before I asked them for a vote of confidence and said, I think I'm done. And I'll never forget driving on a highway in Southern California. I called my son, who is just an incredible leader in his own right. But uh, I told him what I was thinking. And he, he asked me a simple question. Is God finished with you uh, there? And I couldn't answer that question in the affirmative. I could only answer the question, I felt like a failure, but I couldn't answer the question, was God finished with me? And so I withdrew my resignation and got the vote of confidence. We got the affirmation of the convention body. And then the last, and then I was voted for a reaffirmation of my uh, last term. So it was a very high uh, affirmation. So I think, again, the emotions of living in the moment yeah. are the the challenge, whether it's living in the moment of temptation or the moment of anxiety or the moment of fear. Um, those critical decisions of, even if you can't feel it, of deciding where you're going to put your stake, of where you're going to drive your, is it about the future or about the present? And, and I think it, with God, it's about all of it. It's about our past, our present, and our future. He sees those seamlessly. He doesn't make us someone who only lives in the past or only lives in the present or only lives in the future. But if you eliminate any of those, if I eliminate the future and I'm only living in the present, or if I eliminate the present and I'm only living in the past, it's that uh, synergy, Davey, if you will, of discovering the Lord's grace in the midst of our past, our present, and our future. Uh, it was Leonard Tweed who talked recently about justification, sanctification, and glorification. He said, you know, justification is God coming down. Sanctification is God saying, come out from the world. But I love this, and I use this in a memorial service for the 94-year-old leader. He said, but glorification is come home. It's the final invitation of the Lord. He came down. He brought us out, and eventually he invites us home. And so it's that it's that holistic view, I think, that makes us healthy. You know, you can, if you're not healthy, you can be healthy physically, but if you're not healthy spiritually, um, or if you're not healthy emotionally, so you, you understand this about health, there has to be a holistic approach to health. It can't just be, you know, even the Bible says that physical exercise only takes you so far. Um we have to find this balance of emotional, spiritual, mental. Even the Bible said in Luke, I think it's 242, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Yeah. So this balance yeah. approach of life, I think, is where we are in a safe zone. That's great. That's so good. You know, I'm curious as we're kind of like closing our time together, 
Glenn, what, you know, w- within testing, within this, this like steadfastness, perseverance around this theme, I have to imagine you've already mentioned it in a couple of ways in two different stories. One of this pastor that came over from overseas bringing these six attorneys, but then publicly repented, you know, and then another one where you're experiencing something where you're having to walk through some repentance and asking for forgiveness and uh, both of which require a lot of humility, require mm-hmm. um, an umbrella in some ways of accountability or a, the allowance yep. for being called to account in certain things. And it's funny because in our in, in a small group that I'm in, just last week, we were talking about someone asked the question, have you ever seen someone in a public position uh, publicly repent, like genuinely repent for something that they had done? And I sat and thought about that. And I was like, man, if I have, it certainly hasn't been often. And then the reality of that uh, saddened me, but it also informed maybe a little bit of where mm-hmm. we are as a culture too. We are hesitant to this idea, even just as, you know, just everyday people, we're hesitant to the idea of being called to account or having voices, the right voices speak into our lives. So I, I, yep. I, I use all of that to color this question. How important is that accountability, uh, humility, in, in the whole journey of um, perseverance, of finishing the race well. Yeah, I don't think you can underestimate the need for transparency, uh, accessibility, um, living open-handed with your life. I think when we um, guard, it's one thing to guard your heart from evil, but it's another thing to guard your heart from uh, inquisition from people who love you and to live openly. Uh, I think marriage is probably one of the places where that's most tested. Um, uh, I heard someone say, um, you know, that you just can't live with secrets. You know, um, you've got to live with an open hand. Um, marriage is, I think, the perfect, it, it it symbolizes between Jesus and the church. So it's, it, it, there's a spiritual dynamic to it, but I think that's one of the places where we get tested with accountability, not just with those we are leading. Uh, When the Bible says, don't let sun go down on your anger. um, I think there is a sense of God saying, address today, what needs to be done today. Don't, don't allow life or sin or bitterness to reside in your heart because when you do that, it has a tendency to get root uh, in your soul and in your life. So that accountability, that submission, um, I, I heard someone who was an advisor to six U.S. presidents was asked, how many of those presidents were quick to admit their failures? Mm-hmm. He said, not one of those presidents that he ever knew of admitted to a failure. Um, and I thought that's probably one of the reasons why our political system is as vulnerable as it is today with trust issues because we aren't living where most people are living. Yeah. And it's that humility, um, I think, before God that is makes us I think trustworthy because God 
thinks I can trust him. Uh, you know, I was a youth pastor and uh, then I became a senior pastor down in Georgia and I got actually appointed to being a district youth guy and we were going to leave a bad ministry assignment and I accepted it. They announced at a conference I was going to be the next district youth guy and I went to sit down. I'd already resigned my church. My wife was home packing and I'm sitting in the back row of the church, uh, Davey, and the Lord says to me, you never asked me about this decision. Mm. And wow, I'm 25 and I had the Lord personally say something to me that I realized I had a choice. I could ignore it and I could go and we could become the district youth people and, you know, receive certain accolade, get back to near our family, or I could be honest and admit that I had made a mistake. So I had to go to our district supervisor and say, um, I can't come. I didn't pray about this and I, I can't accept this. I had to go repent to my wife. She was packing. I had to wow. go repent to the church that I'd resigned from. But I think at that moment, Dave, Davey, at age 25, I think I established something with God. And I'm certainly not in every situation, but I think at some point God said, if I talk to him, he'll listen. And so I I hope for the most part in my life, when God has shown up and said, you made a mistake or you made an error, my hope is that I would not further entrench myself in a lie or a deception, but I couldn't live. I think when you look at leaders in the Bible that I admire, I just think at the end of the day, they couldn't live without... I mean, when Moses said, "You, if you're going to send angels to the promised land, but you're not going, I'm not going either. In other words, I would rather live in the wilderness with you than in the promised land without you. So I think if we can get to that place in our life where nothing could take the place of the presence of God, not the applause of men, not the even the success of ministry or the success of life, if I get there without God, it's what profit does a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul. So Wow. I think that's what I would leave you with or conclude that um, I'm sure there have been times that I've hidden in my sin, but I hope when God's by the Holy Spirit shown that light on my soul that I just couldn't live with that being hidden yeah. anymore. So um, that's that's just what I leave because we, we live with a God of mercy and grace. When Moses asked him what if he would show him his glory— God didn't do another miracle. He said to Moses, look for my mercy. When you see my mercy, you'll see my glory. And I'm thinking that's how God defines himself wow. as a God of mercy. So that that culture and atmosphere is the atmosphere God wants us to live in. Wow. Man. Glenn, I love that because I, th I think that brings things full circle in the sense of, you know, you said at the beginning of this conversation, it's not so much, testing is not so much this t this season where, can we trust God? It is, right? That is obviously one of the first levels or layers that gets unearthed yep. in testing. But it's also, can God trust us? And yep. and that is often what is revealed is, what, how trustworthy are we to steward and be faithful what God has put in front of us? And it, and it comes right back to the question you just said, you know, are you going to listen to me when I speak to you? Are you going to, yep. are you going to respond when I give you you know, an initiative right here. And, 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 and cause sometimes those, those moments of inflection where, 
where God speaks to us, that's a difficult thing to carry out. It's going to be, you know, some kind of a calling, some kind of a repentance, some kind of a tough conversation something where you're like, oh, do I really, do I, do I then go, do I trust God that this is, that he's going to walk with me through this? And, um, and, and that's mm. just, whew, that is a, that's challenging. That's challenging. And so maybe that's the, what we have to leave with our community is this question, you know, like, <laughs> yes, do you trust God? But, it, but what does it look like? Does he trust you? And when he speaks to you, are you going to listen? Are you going to lean yeah. in? Are you going to continue to walk in that? Because it's that perseverance that ultimately then you will see the fruit on the other side, the promises fulfilled, and you see this bigger picture of the puzzle that God's creating for your life. Glenn, this has been phenomenal. Where can we where can we connect with you more? Where can our community tune in? I don't know if are you on any social media stuff? Do you have any any books or writings or anything out there that we can like a blog or something where we can connect more because you're just full of full of this wisdom and I want our folks to just Yeah, that. I have a Facebook account, uh, yep. just Glenn Burris. I have an Instagram account um, and a Twitter account. And I uh, I haven't written a book, but I write every day. Okay. And so this young guy in Brazil, about 30 years old, took a hundred of my devotionals, wow. put them in a book, had them self-published and sent me a copy wow. of it. So uh, it was pretty cool. Well, you should. Your, I'll encourage your life you. Life had so impacted someone that they would take the time to edit your stuff, put it in a book, publish it, and send it to you. I mean, I have people all the time, but I, but I'm, I feel like I'm writing a book every time I write. You know, I, yeah. I love to write stories. Yeah. I love to take something and apply a spiritual wow. uh, principle to it. So, you know, who knows what the future holds? But I, right now, just enjoy connecting with people yeah. and, and living out my life as much as I love connecting with my neighbors. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we had a neighbor in Southern California. I'll take 30 seconds yeah. to tell you that was the hardest person I've ever lived beside in my life. And she said something to me one time that totally offended me. And I remember coming in the house telling God we were, we were going to ignore these people the rest of our life. And God said, that's not going to happen. You're going to pray for them. And so I told my wife, you can pray for them, but I'm not. And uh, so she <laughs> prayed for them. That afternoon, the lady sent an email apologizing. Three months later, they moved and sent us a letter saying, we've been watching your life for four years. We wanted you to be the first to know we've decided to follow the God you serve. And I thought, only because we wow. weren't reactionary, they, I mean, everybody else in our neighborhood is reactionary to right. them. So they made a choice to follow God by our what they observed in our life yeah. over four years. And I thought that's that was very meaningful to us. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Glenn, thanks so much for spending time with us. This has been such a blessing. And I know it's really encouraged me and stirred stirred us up. Um, I, I don't know that has for the folks who are listening to this. So thank you for your time. Love your conversation uh, with good old Pastor Glenn. I also love that he's a dad and a grandpa. (laughs) And I don't know. There there is, I know we talked about this before, but that faithful running the race for the long haul and then getting to see the legacy of faith in your kids and your grandkids, that to me just feels like the reward. Yeah. And it's yeah. always good to hear from a, a godly person of wisdom who's you know Absolutely. gone before us and stayed faithful. So I love that conversation you had with him. I, I love hearing from people who are walking the middle of their journey, yeah. who are like in it, and they're. Mm-hmm. But I really love hearing from people 
who are drawing back, looking back on their journey and going, hey, yeah. listen, you know, yeah. there's a different perspective. There's yeah. a different calm. Yeah. Right. About them that That's just says, so true. God's in this, right? Yep. He, he's got this. Don't worry, you know? And mm-hmm. it's really difficult for us to see that perspective when we're in the middle of it. Yeah. So we need voices in our life like Pastor Glenn Burris, yeah. who's going to remind us, hey, God's going to take care of this. Yeah. He's going to take care of this. It's all good. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, we mentioned on the front end, just the idea of finishing well and, and you know, uh, f- faithfulness in ministry, but faithfulness in life, right? Isn't that what we all want to hear Jesus say to us one day? I mean, we, we strip everything back. We blow it all down. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I feel like that is, especially as I get older, Davey, that has become so important to me. Um, yeah. And I know... I, I know we have the approval of God in Jesus, but I do think that there's a different layer of like, you have stayed faithful to your assignment. You have run the race well. You have obeyed me. You have like, that's kind of that layer of like, well done, good and faithful servant that I long for the father to speak over me. And especially as I get older, just thinking about legacy and and sort of passing the baton to the next generation, like those types of things are... I definitely know I'm hitting midlife because those types of things are on my mind more than they ever have been. Yeah. And I I do think, you know, this small sounds derivative, but I do think this small faithful life, loving God, loving family, loving neighbor, there's just no replacement for that right. when it's done faithfully over the long haul. And right. I, I think that's that's sort of what we all want and long to hear, like you yep. said, God saying, Good job, you did it, you know. Yeah, and one of the things that Glenn was talking about was how do we persist even when we've experienced all kinds of hurts and betrayals mm. and you know and this is for all of us, right? Whether yeah. you're full-time in ministry, whether you're a lay ministry leader, mm-hmm. whether you're just hello, every member of the body of Christ, right. we are called <laughs> right. to be ministers of the gospel of Christ, right? Yeah. We are you are being you are being paid by your workplace. Yeah. to be a missionary. Right there. <laughs> That's a wild thought. Yeah, right. That's Isn't that true. crazy? Mm-hmm. Right. There's a lot of missionaries out there who are raising money, and somebody right. is giving you a paycheck <laughs> to be a missionary yeah. in your sphere of influence. Yeah. Um, and and so when we think about it, all of us are, if we're going to live a faithful life, if we're going, we have to build this. Um, we have to build this resilience that comes from releasing. Mm any of the built up bitterness and mm. tensions that might happen or occur from betrayals and hurts and, you know, uh, um, uh, unmet expectations. Yeah. And, you know, because I don't know about you, Aubrey, but I can like, when I'm ministering to people, I can begin to minister out of a place sometimes, or I can begin to pour into people out of a place of expecting to receive something in return. Totally. And that can cause me to feel bitter or betrayed yes. when I don't experience that. Yes. And I've heard somebody else say, it, I'm, it, this might be Nona Jones or this might be Jeannie Stevens. I can't remember, but a, a female pastor <laughs> I follow, either one. A, they're a gr- brilliant woman. <laughs> yeah, that some we, awesome yeah, exactly. lady. <laughs> this is how pastors get in trouble, right? Because then soon yeah. I'll be saying like, once I said this incredible thing, this, right, right, you right. Know, this was not me. But, <laughs> no, I always say. <laughs> right, right. But that, that attitude... Uh, it you know it makes you bitter, it makes you resentful, but then it also makes you um, the word I'm looking for. It's not quite privileged, but like 
You、mm. think you deserve things? Entitled. That's or, it. That's、yeah. the word I'm looking for. And then、right. the entitlement leads to what we've seen happen. Actually, I know we're not just talking to people in ministry, but we've seen this happen in ministry. Is、yeah. uh, then I can do whatever. They're not going to treat me the way they should. I'm going to do whatever、right. I want to with my life. And you see moral failures. You see power、uh, dynamics that are unhealthy.、Yeah. You, see, you know.、Yeah. And so I think for all of us. Just to be mindful of that tendency in ourselves when we're suddenly、yeah. like mad that they're not treating us the way we're treating them, or we're not getting what we thought we would,、yeah. or we're not, you know, and that's hard. It's so hard when you're because、oh, you're、yeah. working with real life people.、Yep. It's just always、yep. more complicated and difficult than you think it's going to be. Right. And right. so to be、yep. able to develop like that tough skin but tender heart is what you need to, to keep showing up. I love that you just said that tough skin but tender heart. And you know we've talked about this some maybe on this podcast. I know I've shared this in other arenas that what trauma tends to do by default, whether it's you know any kind of tragedy you experience, but if it, un, unresolved trauma, unaddressed pain in your life, it will cause your heart to grow hardened、mm. and your skin to grow soft and tender,、mm. so that you take nearly everything personal, or you begin to presuppose somebody's motives, or、yeah. be, it looks、wow. very attacking when someone, you know, if someone says something to you, right? And so it's very, you're very sensitive on the outside, and your heart, your heart is so calloused and hard、yeah. that it's not able to be malleable and warm and compassionate toward others. And what God wants to do in all of our pain and all of our trauma is do the complete reverse of that. He wants to soften our hearts. So that we're more empathetic and compassionate for other people, and he wants to he wants to toughen our skin so that things aren't as personal to us, and we don't, you know, we can we can look at at someone else's actions, behaviors, words, and and we can go, we can see them the way that Jesus sees them, right? right? Where we can almost expect that we're going to be hurt. Yeah. Right. What would it look like if we expect that we're going to be hurt and yet still give trust? Not like expect we're going to be hurt in a like an anti-trusting, yeah, guarded sort of way. Yeah. But an expect, hey, you know what? I'm probably at some point. I'm probably、mm-hmm. going to be hurt by this person or by these people. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and continue to pour myself out to these people or this person,、mm-hmm. expecting that. Yep. So I'm not surprised when it happens, but、right. then I can also fill in that gap with grace and、yes. and treat that person with compassion the same way that Jesus would treat that person. And that is extremely difficult. As human beings, right? <laughs> like in our humanity, yeah, we want to guard, we want to protect,、totally. we want to close off,、totally. we want to, especially if we've experienced. I know Aubrey, you've experienced hurt, yeah, both in life and in ministry. Yeah, I've experienced hurt both in life and in ministry,、yep. and it can cause you to become jaded and calloused very easily. Oh, it really can, and I, I have sensed even like post COVID. Just, I mean, I'll just be really vulnerable with our listeners. Like, you know, this is not just true of Renewal Church. This is true of every church everywhere. During COVID, people、mm. left. Right, because they didn't、mm. like how pastors were or weren't doing something,、right. and we don't need to get into that. But、uh, some of those people were like, I mean, like our friends、mm. or people we like. We we brought you to Christ. We yeah, baptized、right. you. We married、right. you. We dedicated your children. You know,、yeah. and that can that kind of thing can feel so personal. And I what I was saying was I have recognized in myself.、Yeah. New people have come to our church, and I've been like, I don't know if I want to be friends with you. Like, I,、mm. I don't know if I can engage with you. And it's like, it almost—I mean, I guess.
get a little cynical when everyone's saying they have PTSD and they're triggered by everything, but it right, feels right. a little like that, Davey. Like, yeah, I've yeah. got some, definitely some defense mechanisms are up. Yeah. Uh, and that I'm praying the Lord kind of helps me, like you said, f- let's start filling in gaps mm. with grace, trusting that people are human. There yeah. is going to be, I mean, some things are going to happen because we're human, but that doesn't mean you can't like enter in with relationship and leadership yeah, and right. ministry and a love of God. And But it does it feels like it's a work of the spirit in all of us to help us keep going and doing that. Absolutely. I was just thinking about that this morning, Aubrey. It's really interesting that we're talking about mm. this because- I was I was kind of reflecting back on the transition that has happened in our life and our community since stepping away from the church that I was pastoring and moving into nothing is wasted full time. Yeah. And seeing just how drastically different, like everybody from that season of life is now out of my life for all intents and purposes. And wow. new there's new community. And so I'm I'm kind of observing myself kind of like tiptoe my way into this new community going, wow. I'm not sure because I experienced some really up, big ups and downs with this group Ooh, of people. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and I interpret certain things, whether it's true or not, I interpret certain things, certain actions or words that were, you know, expressed toward me during that season back then as very personal. And, and sometimes could even, I interpret it as it could be attacking. Yeah. And and very hurtful, yeah. and whether that was in their intention or not, right. you know, and so it's very hard. I mean, just speaking vulnerably, it's very difficult to go. You know what? I'm just gonna step right into new relationships <laughs> and new friendships and new and like that's just tough. It and is. so Gosh. I think what I've had to what I've had to like look at this morning, even as I was wrestling through, I was going. That feels very personal, and I have to acknowledge that. Yeah. And at the same time, I can't let that paralyze me right from experiencing the fullness of community that God wants for me. Wow. And I don't know if I have a resolution to that. I'm not mm. saying I'm but but that's kind of what I came to this morning was like mm. I've got to I'm, I'm going to have to keep putting myself out there. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise the enemy's going to win, right? Cuz then the enemy's going to exactly isolate right. all of us from one another and that's yep. that's the enemy winning. Yeah, no, that's yep. good. That's good, David. You know, Jesus put himself out there to Judas. <laughs> and I don't That's a word. Wow. He, he trusted Judas with the finances of their ministry. Yeah, wow. <laughs> like the most untrustworthy person, you know, as we see mm. it now. Right? And he was actually stealing from mm. from the finances of their ministry, but and I don't know where I'm reading a book right now, Aubrey, called On the Incarnation by by Athanasius. So, oh, an nice. old early yeah. church yeah. father and it's talking a bit about, you know, the divinity of Christ and kind of where that gets, where he limited the divinity and, you know, there's a lot mm. of implications. I don't know when Jesus knew and about realized Judas. Right. that Judas was going to betray him, Yeah, but I have to imagine at some point he knew and still invested in him. Wild to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because that just seems like the heart of Jesus. Doesn't it? So it, it really does. That challenges me when it comes to yeah. other people in my life as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so anyways. Good. Okay. That's our thoughts for today. Thank you, Glenn Burris, for stirring that up for yeah, us. Thanks, and hopefully that stirs up for you guys as well. Um, some good things. We'd love for you to join our community. Uh, we got a lot of different places that you can interact with. Nothing is wasted. We'd love to interact with you. Nothing is wasted.com. You can join the community platform for free. You can join Community Plus, where there's all kinds of resources there. Um, and so make sure you c- catch our replays of our masterclasses, live coaching replays, bonus episodes, 
uh, mini courses, all kinds of stuff there to help you as you are partnering with God to take back your story. That's the crusade that we're on. We want to help you in whatever this pain point is that you're navigating right now. We also want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download and stream his music wherever you do that. You can also engage with us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, at Davy Blackburn, at Ob Samp. And next week we're joined by Jerry Sitzer, whose oh name might be Aubrey. familiar to you. I, w- I was like, I know Jerry Sitzer, I know Jerry Sitzer. It's because he his book, A Grace Disguised, is... Yeah. Just well-loved. Prolific. Well-shared. Well, yeah, go ahead, Davey. When when Amanda passed away, I was sent a grace disguised at least a half a dozen times. Oh, maybe really? More. Oh, I mean, wow. there was okay. lots of different books, that were, but this was the one that was sent to me multiple times. It is prolific mm. when, when it, in terms of, you know, writings on grief and loss. And yeah, I mean, Jerry's story is unbelievable. His wisdom is, I mean, I, I cannot overstate. <laughs> <laughs> How amazing this conversation is. You're not going to want to miss ne- next week. It's incredible. Oh, can't wait. So let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Davy's conversation with Jerry Sitzer. And then notice Venus in the morning sky. Um, it was really strutting its stuff. It was beautiful. It looked like a small moon. It was so big mm. and so bright and so glorious hanging there in the morning sky, dominating the skyline. And I just stared at it for a while with a sense of deep wonder. Went back to my uh, favorite chair, had my morning devotions and sipped on my coffee and kind of breathed this sort of sigh of pure pleasure that I had been exposed to something just so extraordinary in the heavenly bodies, you know. Mm. That afternoon, I got a call from my sister who told me the story of my great nephew who had come to Whitworth to play football that fall, got a pain in his leg, MRI, uh, MRI had an MRI taken, discovered it was osteosarcoma, bone cancer. Mm. And uh, the diagnosis came in that day. So she called me and said, this is really bad news. And um, six weeks later, he lost his leg mid-thigh went through horrific chemo, cancer spread. I did his memorial service just this past February. He died at 19 years old. Okay, so here's the metaphor, Davey. Hmm. Venus in the morning sky and a telephone call about osteosarcoma in a young man. That's the world we live in right there. That's the tension of life that all of us experience. And as you grow in Christ, and as you face the losses that you experience, that tension grows, but so does your capacity to be present to both. So you can be both sorrowful and joyful. You can face the tumult of life, in my case, raising three little kids, highly traumatized, and yet somehow move toward peace. Both are possible. Mm. 